Thanks for listening to The River's Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. We are in a series called His Story. Your story and my story are His story. Revelation, we sang it this morning, said, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, his tes- and the word of their testimony. You, they're, they're not separate, okay? So yes, Jesus died on the cross, the blood of the Lamb, and then all of a sudden, the power of the story of what that does for us comes together and we overcome the enemy with that. And that's going to be pretty cool, I think, at the end of time. haven't been there, I'm just assuming. But I think that when, when all is said and done, we're going to have stories to share that are so intertwined with the blood of the Lamb that we will just celebrate for all of eternity and there will be nothing that hasn't been overcome. So this morning I have three stories for you. One is about some friends of mine who are amazing people, and they chose to share an incredibly vulnerable story with you this morning. They are on the other side of what they share today, and it is a powerful story. The second story is a story about Jesus. Because your story is his story, and what happens to him and happened to him happens to you. And the third story is about me and something I went through that I believe in different ways many of you are going through as well. So let's begin. I always knew marriage was going to be hard, but I always thought that there would be some joy in it, and and I think that's what we didn't have. It It was just miserable. I didn't think it would be that hard. You know, I knew it would be hard, but there was no, no joy. We had no, we had nothing except anger and loneliness. Um, One of the huge factors that rocked our marriage is I was unfaithful to my wife. Um, There was a lot of betrayal that was in the marriage. Coming home and not really wanting to be there, not feeling like we were connecting a lot, kind of feeling like living with two different people, just strangers. That we didn't even really want to be with at all. (laughs) You know, the idea of even being in the same room or in the same house together really was miserable. (laughs) You know, like that was the last thing that I think either one of us wanted to do at that point. The healing process has been difficult, painful, ugly, you know, certainly not glamorous in any definition of the word, but... 
we sought out marriage counseling with uh, two different individuals within the community and with the uh, individual um, within our church. And we went through marriage, a lot, a lot of marriage counseling. <laughs> a lot. Yes. Um, and individual counseling. We did individual and marriage counseling. Yes. But to be truthful, for the first, I don't know, six months after that, uh, I expected that we would fail. I think probably the most important thing that I decided to do early on was surround myself with people who believed in marriage and believed that God's grace was enough to, to cover all of our sins. We certainly had plenty of reason to uh, leave each other, to, to get divorced and to just go our separate ways and that's what most people would tell us. I, I finally made the decision I had to be open. I had to be vulnerable to, to some guys. I know that their response was not what I would be looking for. I distinctly remember him coming home and saying, I'm never going to go back. It was so horrible. They, they, you know, essentially held him accountable for his decisions and, and kind of called him out for making some of the decisions that, that he made and they didn't let him make excuses for it or get away with it. And I think that was kind of the spark that started our, our ability to feel hopeful again that, that our, our marriage was worth fighting for and that, um, you know, we were put together for, for a specific reason and that even though it was hard, that it was, it was worth it. You know, through all of this, I think that Bob has become a better husband and a better man. I think that he's able to um, love me in ways that he would not have been um, capable of doing. Learning to live honestly with men in my life and family in my life has taught me and actually has made me just more, more open as a person. Situation our story is going to influence a couple, and I kind of feel that way. Like right now, like we're hosting that sacred marriage small group. We're not leading that, but we're hosting that. That's like a first big step for us. To, you know, we want people to see that God really heals marriages. I want my kids to see that in marriage that, that there is forgiveness, that there is grace. There is no relationship, there's no problem that is outside of the redemptive power of Christ. We are Bob and Jen Dykstra, and we believe in forgiveness. And we believe that God heals marriages. I like those two. Can you imagine the tape that would play in your head when you think your marriage is falling apart? Can you imagine the, the reel that goes through your head when you've committed an act of unfaithfulness and you're driving your car home and the enemy is saying, where have you come from? Where have you come from? Who are you? Can, 
can you make this work? Prove to me that you're a good husband. And then Jen is home, and can you imagine the tape in her head? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you, are you not enough? Prove to him that you're enough. Have you ever heard this tape play in your head? Have you ever just heard it over and over and over again? You just can't. You're just, it's, it's accusation after accusation after accusation. I don't care if it's your job. I don't care if it's your marriage. I don't care if it's your school. It's your friends. It's your relationships. It's this idea that nothing you can do is enough, and you're being held accountable to some, like, thing in the air that you just can't be good enough for. That's our first story. I believe it's your story, I believe it's my story, and I believe it's Jesus' story. Story number two starts in the book of Job, chapter two, verse one. And in the book of Job, I will just tell you that many scholars believe this book is the first book to ever be written in the Bible. And in chapter 2, we read the story of Satan and God. And it says this, On another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan said, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth. In it. I need you to follow me because this is important. I love the opportunity when I get to share something that's on my heart, and I need you to just I need you to try and follow. Since the beginning of time, we have a creator of the universe who loves us, and he holds the enemy accountable for his darkness. Imagine the moment Satan enters into heaven to present himself before God. Maybe he's prideful. I think he probably is. And he wants to present himself before God with the other angels. And the moment he steps into that throne room of heaven, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, looks at him and he says, where have you come from? And Satan the one who tried to overthrow heaven, the one who tries to overthrow you, the one who holds you accountable to the air, has to answer. He has to answer God. I can almost sense the embarrassment, the head hanging. Here I've come to God Almighty to show Him how powerful I am, that I should be the one here presenting myself and people presenting themselves to me and angels presenting themselves to me, but I've been cast out and now I'm back to take my stand and all of a sudden I am on my knee. I have been roaming through the earth to and fro. I can imagine the embarrassment. And the enemy since that time, since the very beginning, has always been held accountable to God. You don't see it. You don't always see it. But it's happening. And I believe because of this accountability 
And because of his desire to be like God, and his desire to have power over anything that even looks like God or smells like God, maybe someone created in the image of God, he says, I am going to hold them accountable. I can't hold God accountable, but I can hold his creation accountable. I can try to hold his creation accountable. And so we hear the question many times in our head, who do you think you are? Where did you come from? Open up to the book of John, chapter 19. And this is still story number two because it's Jesus' story, and Jesus' story is your story. And your story is His story. And Jesus has been beaten. And He has a crown of thorns placed on His head and ripped off. And a robe is put on His back, His bloodied back and dried and ripped off. And He's received the lashes and He's been mocked. And the Jews want to crucify Him and the Romans want to torture Him. And He is in the most beaten, terrible state that He could exist in and now he has to go before Pilate and Jesus from the outside in if you're watching looks to be the most submitted creature on earth looking barely human he stands before someone who is high up in the Roman Empire and as he stands before this person who is high up in the Roman Empire, let me give you a secret of something Jesus knows. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities, and it is against powers, and it is against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and it is against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians chapter 6. And so Jesus comes face to face with this man, and he is, has an encounter and a struggle that is not against flesh and blood. Let's read it and let's see if you can catch it. This is so fun for me. See if you can catch it. John chapter 19, verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Clue number one, Pilate is afraid. Fear does not come from the Lord. Pilate's being influenced by something other than God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace where do you come from? He asked Jesus. Uh-oh. I think somebody's trying to get God back. Hey God, remember that time when I came to heaven before you to present myself to you and you held me accountable? Where did you come from? And I had to answer you? Well, guess what? Your son, who you sent to save the world, now has to answer me. I am the emperor. I have taken over this man, Pilate. I have inserted myself into his words. And now, son of God, I hold you accountable. Where did you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? But Jesus gave him no answer. In the Son of God's silence, he says, 
I do not answer to you. I will not play your circus game. I will not prove myself to you. I will not defend myself to you because you have no authority to question me. And Jesus gave no answer. Silence. How many times do we try to give an answer? I need to prove myself at work. I need to prove that I have the skills to be there. I need to prove myself in my marriage. I need to prove myself to my friends. I need to prove myself to myself. I need to prove myself to the air. But Jesus gave no answer. Since that time that the enemy was held accountable by God, he has been trying to hold us accountable to him. Self. And we are called to give no answer. Story number three. I had a placement in the audience. It's not a magic show. Great pass. I grew up playing basketball, and I got very good at basketball. I was drafted by the Lakers in 76. <laughs> what gave it away? Was it 76 or Lakers? Okay. I got pretty good at basketball. My high school coach would open the door to the gym every morning at 6 a.m., and I would go in, and I would get my 500 shots up, and uh, some colleges started to call, and I went and played for a couple and the whole time, I just kept getting better and better and better. And I had those little mental struggles too. But I practiced and I shot and I worked hard. And I got a start on a college team. And, and then later, after I had graduated, my college coach called me and he said, Hey, Rod, we have a graduate assistantship. If you would like to come be an assistant coach at our college, we would love to have you because um, we think you're really good relationally and you're a good team builder and we'd like to have you join the team and so I did that and I got my master's degree paid for and I got a coach college basketball and it wasn't just about playing it anymore like my mind started to expand with this sport and all of a sudden I knew way too much about a game than anyone should ever know and that's why you see the same coaches if you watch basketball in college that's why you see the same coaches in the finals every single year they just, they know way too much. Like, they know things you shouldn't know about this sport, and they do weird things, and they always win. And I started to just know a lot about the game. And then my graduate assistant ended, and I got a call from the river, hey, would you come interview to be a student pastor? And I was really nervous, and I came up, and I had my dress pants on and my shirt and collar and I realized very quickly that I should have worn holy jeans and like a green flannel or something. And uh, so I, I became the student pastor at the river and then we started this, this series called Where the Hell and um, we, out of that series we decided to do this thing called the Hope Project where we engaged with Maple Street Magnet School. And it was one of the lowest scoring schools state test-wide in the entire state. 
and it was very spiritually dark. And then a friend of mine, who was the head basketball coach at Loy Norix, came to me and he said, hey Rod, I know you have some college basketball coaching experience. There's an eighth grade position open at Maple Street. Would you like to coach eighth graders? Yes. I would love to coach eighth graders who know nothing about basketball. And so I took over this eighth grade team and I started working with them and very quickly I realized that these young men were coming from a different background than I grew up in and they were hurting. And so I started coaching and talking about best effort. I started talking about how to love each other as a team. I, don't, I think we lost one or two games that year. They were just awesome. They were much better than I could have ever thought. And I was enjoying myself, and I was having a blast coaching something that I had put so much of my life into. And then three weeks in, I get a call from the principal. And he says, Rod, I need you to write an account of what happened on November 22nd at this time. Because we have reason to believe that you committed inappropriate sexual behavior with a player. I still can't eat the chicken meal that my wife had cooked for dinner that night. I still can't eat it. And it was delicious. It has nothing to do with her cooking. And so I wrote an account, and I emailed it to the principal. Here's, here's what happened. Here's what I think happened. And he said, you've been accused of fourth-degree sexual misconduct with a minor. And the principal was like, I'm sorry, just send it in, we'll try to take care of it. And I got so anxious, I threw up all night. The principal called me a couple days later and he said, I watched the tape and I couldn't find anything on it, Rod. You're fine, everything's good. Whew, praise the Lord. I come home a couple days later and there's a card in my door private investigator. Please come by the Kalamazoo County Police Department. Everything in my head said, who do you think you are that you could come into this school and make an impact? I walk into the police station and I meet a woman who asks me to come into a room with cameras. And I sit down on one side of the table and she sits down on the other side of the table and she says, now if there's anything you need to tell me, now would be the time. It's not that big of a deal. If there's anything you need to tell me, now would be the time. I didn't know what to say. I just, I just sat there. I don't, I don't know. Do you tell your players you love them? I, I guess I say I love you, man. Do you hug your players? I, I don't know. I, 
my head is a cloud with just tons of questions, and the, the one that gets repeated the most is, if there's anything you need to tell me, now would be the time. If there's anything you need to tell me, are you sure there's nothing you need to tell me? Are, are you positive there's nothing you need to tell me? Now would be the time if you need to tell me. And I'm like, I don't know. The private investigator looks at me and she says, do you know what you've been accused of? No, I don't. Then she proceeds to tell me, and I'm not going to share it with you. But I turn ghost white, and I just say, no, 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 no. I would never do anything like that to any child. And I am completely broken. And I'm imagining myself leading prison Bible studies. And I'm just terrified, and I have no, nothing to say. And then the detective says, okay, thank you for your time. I'll go watch the video now. What? You'll go watch the video now? I say, please hurry. Please go watch the video now after you've asked me if there's anything I need to say. I throw up every day multiple times a day for three weeks in a row. I feel so anxious I can't get out of bed, I can't eat food. Anna doesn't know what to do. And then the detective calls my phone and says, I watched the video. It's completely unfounded. Nothing happened. The mother and the young man would like to apologize to you. And I'm so angry. I'm so angry. And in my head, I say, God, I'm never coaching in that school again. We did a series, Where the Hell? It's there, and that school can go to hell. I am not setting foot back in that school. The principal tells me later, man, it's a good thing we had video cameras or else it would have been your word against his. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad schools have video cameras. He says, yeah, but um, this was the first year we ever had video cameras. And I feel like I'm standing before Pilate. And he's saying, who do you think you are? In the middle of the most traumatic time of that for me, I remember getting up from leaning over the toilet and walking out of the bathroom completely empty of everything and hearing the most scary voice in my head that I've ever heard in my life say, I can do this to you anytime I want. And I was broken. And I called my mom, and I was like, you won't believe what I just heard. And she said, oh, I believe it. I believe it. Let's talk about it. And so the next year is coming around, and the athletic director is, hey, Rod, 
You going to coach again? And I said, I'm going to take some time to think about it. And he understood. And I'm praying, and I say, God, I know you love me, and I know that I invested so much of my life into a sport, and I just wanted to help some kids, but I can't go through that again. I'm sorry. I know it's disobedient to you. I can't go back into that school. I can't do it again. I feel like I will physically die if I have to go through something like that again. Even though I was completely innocent, I can't go through it. And I hear the still, small voice of God. I hear it. And it's a question. And he says this, Rod, who do you think had video cameras installed in that school the day before you walked through its doors? Who do you think had video cameras installed in that school the day before you walked through its doors? I coached there five more years. And when I walked back into those doors the next year, I looked at the faces of the teachers and the coaches and the people who called the police and they were going, hello coach, hello coach. And I did whatever I wanted for the next five years. <laughs> and I talked about Jesus as much as I wanted for the next five years. Since the beginning of time, God has held the enemy accountable for his spiritual darkness. And he has flipped that script, and he has tried to hold Jesus accountable, and Jesus said, I'm not playing that game. And now he has flipped that script again, and he's trying to hold you accountable. And I promise you, you have no responsibility to play that game. You do not have to prove yourself to a person. You do not have to prove yourself to a boss. You do not have to prove yourself to yourself. You don't have to prove yourself to anything because the creator of the universe has gifted you in a way that he has gifted no one else in the entire world and he will protect you. And every time you hear that voice in your head say you are not enough, you are destroying your marriage, you are too loyal, you are the person who is wrongfully doing the wrong thing, you are the person who cannot stand on your own, you are the person who is not able to be like other people. You don't have to give an answer, and I plead with you, don't give an answer. Because we serve a God who can put video cameras in a school the day before I walk into it. We serve a God who can heal a marriage that six months into counseling, the belief was it's not gonna work out. This is not gonna work out, it's, it hurts too bad. We serve a God who, when your back is up against a wall, can take his hands and part a sea, and you can walk through on dry ground. We serve a God who can send fire from heaven to rescue you when people are trying to kill you. You do not have to defend yourself, friends. You do not have to defend yourself. The Lord is your helper. And so we say with confidence, as it has, says in Hebrews chapter 6, the Lord is my helper. I will never be afraid. What can man do to me? 
Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against an accuser who the enemy, who God has been holding accountable. And he's just trying to get you to play his game. Stand up if you feel accused in your mind. Stand up if you feel accused in your mind. We're going to pray. Then we're going to be done. Because that voice is not from a person. That voice is not from a person. That voice is from an embarrassed, little, tiny demon who can't walk into heaven without being forced to get down on his knee and give an account to the darkness that he tries to bring into this world. And you don't have to answer. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for today and thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for bringing us together and we come against the lies that would tell us and ask us, who do we think we are? Where have we come from? What is our identity as if we have to prove ourselves, Father? And we claim the reality that we are who you say we are. And we have no one else to be. And we have nothing to prove. And we thank you that Jesus was silent and did not play that game so that we don't have to either. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.